All right. Today we are reading from 1 John, verses 5 through 10, um, which is on page 959 in the Bibles under your chairs. And it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is the light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. If you're uh, new with us this morning, welcome I apologize about the seating and space and those types of things, but let's say this, it's really fun when this place is filled up and we're singing songs together. It's really fun to be a part of that. Uh, We did hear, we've been kind of saying this to you the last little while, that uh, we are here for a moment, and then we've been here for the summer, really, and then we're going to be jumping back to Central Middle School, which is downtown. That is still true. Um... I emailed administration this week, and I heard back from another sort of veins that are trustworthy sources that we are going to be back in October, so that's a loose statement, but it's October. <laughs> but so bear with us, so just a quick note, Jordan said this, is as you come in, like next week and following weeks, if you come in and you sit in this middle section, could you kind of scrunch and forward, and then if you're sitting on the edges, would you kind of scoot to the walls? This is a really great auditorium. One kind of difficulty is there's only two aisles, and so those seats on the edge are really hard to get to. And so just help us out in that way. That's housekeeping. Uh, That's the end of that. I'll say nothing more. My name's Ethan, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we really are, if it is your first time with us, we're thankful that you're with us and and joining us. And and if it is your first time, you've you've come at a good time. I, I don't know that we would ever claim that there is a bad time to come, but you are here at a good time where last week we began a sermon series in First John, definitively named First John. Right, cool. <laughs> People have picked up on that. I've heard that as a joke throughout the week for the last few weeks, so that's great. But we are beginning a series in First John. And, and really, if you've been with us for a while or if you are new, we, we do kind of try to pick books of the Bible and we try to preach verse by verse. And really that we would ultimately just be people who are in the word, transformed and formed by the word. And so as we look at the word of God, we want to hold up who God is, and we want to build our lives around that, and then we want to take the promises of who God is and what he says to his people. His people are the ones who he's purchased through Jesus Jesus Christ's blood shed up on the cross. We'll get into that today. But his people have promises, and we want to really walk together, even as we'll talk today, walk into his light. We want to walk together in fellowship with one another, with God, as we apply the promises of God to our life. And so really, that's kind of the deal. And and we talk about the mission statement here at Free City often. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's really the simplicity of Jesus, his story, the news that he came 
lived, died a wrath-absorbing death, atoning for our sins, was buried in the ground, and three days later rose from the dead is the greatest, most life-changing news you'll ever hear in your life. And so we want to build everything around that. That changes the way we interact with people around us. It, it transforms our message. It transforms how we filter, how we see culture around us. That we don't have to necessarily, there are things to abstain from, but we don't have to abstain from things just because they're not of God. But we can see them through the lens of Christ. We can redeem things. We can step into our neighborhoods, our workplaces, everywhere to spread the good news of Jesus Christ that changes lives, lives, extending the glory of God, if you will. So, first, John. Last week, we, we started, and, and Casey covered verses 1 through 4. And this is the word which John wrote about, which Jesus is the word of life, and he talked about, that was with God in the beginning. And this word of life is the message of God in person, Jesus Christ. So last week we saw the reality of Jesus' life and that that's really God's main idea here, that there were those who were namely the apostles, and John says, that which we have heard, so he's talking about himself and the apostles there with him, which they had heard, seen, and touched, referring to the fact that they existed with Jesus, like they rubbed shoulders with him, they followed him, sat across the dinner table from him. And he goes on to write about this message. And he says, it's the message that we proclaim to you, to the next generation of believers. And he explains that the apostles, when they proclaim this, they're sharing the life of Christ that now by you hearing this message and them sharing it with you, you are now in turn brought into fellowship with God the Father and the Son and with those who believe in Jesus. And so this is that word Casey talked about last night. last week, koinonia, which is this participation in or sharing of. And so when people hear the message about Jesus through the apostles, this message brings them into a real relationship with Jesus himself and real participation in the life of God. And he ends it in verse 4, saying, and I write these things to you. We are writing these things to you. Why? So that your joy may be complete. And that was last week. And so then today, you heard it at the beginning. This is the message that we proclaim to you. This is today's text. It's explicitly clear. The message is this, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God is light. And if we want to be people who have fellowship with and participate in God's own life through Christ, there's some implications we must Walk in the light. And so we're going to look at that this morning. But it's really this, the truth of who God is, that he's light, creates a culture within us that enables us to be truthful about who we are. Tracking with that? The truth of who God is, that he is light, creates a culture that enables us to be truthful, to be honest, about who we are. And so as we get into this today, we're going to really kind of break the text down into three, hopefully not too haphazard points or outlines. We're just going to say, we're going to look at the fact that God is light. And then from there, we're going to see what does it look like to walk in the light. And really three, we're going to kind of just, it's almost like a sub point of walking in the light. That is just this, confess your sin and don't be deceived. 
We're going to look at the warning that John gives. Let me pray for us and we'll get into the text. Lord Jesus, we do thank you this morning that that the word that John has brought to us, that he's proclaimed, the one that he heard and saw and touched, that's you and the truth of who you are doesn't just stick with you, but through your life, death, and resurrection transfers to us. For anyone who would believe in you, sins large or small, there's nothing too big, nothing out of your reach, nothing that your blood doesn't quite cover. And so this morning as we look at this message that that John preaches to us, that God, you are light, would we be people of the light? Holy Spirit, would you illuminate our minds, our hearts, and would we hold up the things that are darkness that we willfully have accepted and then things that have been done to us. Holy Spirit, would you, in your perfect peace and in your light shining power, would you come into our hearts, illuminate the dark spaces, and give us freedom to walk under the blood-cleansing power of Jesus. So help us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. God is light. Look at verse 5. I just read it. And this is the message that we have heard from him, And we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This God is light. This is the message that John heard from Jesus himself. Last week, John, we said this, he dwelt among Jesus. He heard, he saw, he was with, he touched. And and Jesus came to tell us this, that God is light. And everything that we'll talk about flows from this truth. So now, what do we know about light? Light shines, right? In this room, as I'm looking at you, light is present on this side and dark over here. So if there's not a lot of light, then it's difficult to kind of see what's in front of you. But light illuminates things. It, it makes things visible. It brings clarity to the reality of what is, or it reveals what is not immediately visible. So this week as I was kind of thinking about this, I was sitting at my dining room table, and if you've been in my house, you're sitting at the table and you're kind of looking down the hallway if you sit at the end. And if you look down the hallway, there's a painting on the wall of a lion. Just the head. There's not, I would say a bust, but there's no neck. It's just, just the head. And if you look down there and you know it's a lion, then you know it's a lion, right? But if you're sitting there and it's your first time and you're looking down, the hallway lights are off, the picture might resemble the late Jim Morrison of the Doors. <laughs> you know, like the picture, you, you've seen it, like kind of the Rolling Stone cover, his arms are up, he's got like Derek Zoolander, Blue Steel look on his face, you know what I'm talking about, where he's shirt off, the, all that. But you, you might see Jim Morrison, but turn on the light switch, and you'll quickly realize that it's actually the most fierce of feline species. So when you flip that switch, you, you see what it actually is. Now, if you're in my city group or in my house in the near future and you walk down the hallway, all you're going to see is Jim Morrison. So sorry about that. When I was in college, uh, some of my best friends and I did this thing that we called, I'm going to say this and I'm going to explain it, so don't give me a big reaction. We called it campus crusading. I realize that sounds really crazy. We called it campus crusading 
because we were involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now named Crew. This isn't me endorsing Crew to hold it up above all the other student ministries. We love all the student ministries, be it Stumo or Navs or Crew or Young Life or Salt Company or Child, whatever it might be. Student ministry leaders, you do hard, important work. We're really thankful for you. And if you're involved in those ministries, awesome. Love Jesus. Love those people around you. But I was involved in crew. And so because of that, it actually had nothing to do with what we did, but except the word crusade felt like powerful, I guess. <laughs> so what we did, campus crusading was this. It has actually nothing. Uh, I'm going to explain it. One of my best friends... And Eric Martin's in the room. He was a part of this. He plays bass on Sunday mornings. Eric was a part of this. And one of our friends, his name's Craig, he owned a, a Volkswagen Golf. I believe it was like a 98 model Volkswagen Golf. It was black. His uncle gave it to him, and it was an awesome car. We have plenty of stories in it. The thing about a Volkswagen Golf, not suggesting you do anything, but if you happen to have a Volkswagen Golf or have a friend that has one, it's like about the width of a collegiate sidewalk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like if you're, if you're at, at KU, the sidewalks are a bit wider than they are if you live in a residential area and you have a sidewalk in front of your house. This is about the width of that. Well, what we did in campus crusading was there were, so we went to this university called Southwestern Oklahoma State University. Short is Swasu. They have a jingle, Swasu, the focus is you. It's awesome. But so Swasu, the, the campus police there, we call them the SWOPO, okay? That makes sense because it all goes together. But our, the point of our, of our crusading was to push the limit and see what we could get away with. So what we did was find an entry point onto a sidewalk. We just drive around campus, and then someone calls out, all right, get on the sidewalk. Craig either hops a curb or drives up a ramp to get onto the sidewalk. And we drive on the sidewalk under the light of the moon, until you see a swopo, and then you try to hightail it out of there so you don't get caught, or you stop and turn off your lights or whatever. Sometimes you drive with your lights off just to, just to be risky, right? So that was kind of the deal. So we did this all the time. Well, one night, I wasn't actually there. I was at my then-girlfriend, now-wife's house, and I get a call from one of our friends. His name's Logan, and Logan, I answer the phone, and he's like, hey, we're stuck Craig's car, the golf is dead, hum, hurry. That's all he said, and he hung up. And I'm like, man, what's going on? So I call back, and he's like, we're at Swasu, hung up again. Like, he's just a super to-the-point guy. So we drive around Southwestern to try to find where is everybody. And what, what did we come up on is this. It was nighttime. They were campus crusading. And there's a parking lot that's up on the top of the hill in the university, like, like KU is up on a hill, not as big of a hill, but on a hill, and there's a parking lot at the very top of this hill, and coming down out of that parking lot, if I were to do this, here's the parking lot plane, and there's a ramp that comes down out of the parking lot. Well, in the light of the day, you clearly see what's going on there, right? At night, when there's no rails against, around that, and you're just driving like a fool, you're driving around that parking lot, and you come over, and where that that ramp comes down, your car gets high-centered over that ramp, and you're stuck. <laughs> and so I'm talking a, a ditch and all those things. So we come together, we find Craig and Logan, I believe Eric might have been present there, whoever all was present, 
And we call some more friends, and we legitimately had to pick up the car and get it back into the parking lot so that he could drive off and stop crusading for the evening. <laughs> but really, I say all that to, it's funny, and I thought about it, but, but there is a side that is, man, without the light, we can't fully see. Now, we were doing things we shouldn't have been doing, but if it would have been light out, if he would have seen and had visibility, he would have avoided that altogether. So I say it to this end, when we see God as he really is, not as we think he is, or have come to believe him to be through the lens of our finite experience, but when we see him as he really is, as the Bible says that he is, we'll see the stark difference between his light and the darkness that is so prevalent, that shields us, that masks our vision. So John writes to us, and he proclaims to us that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So last week, in talking about verses 1 through 4, Casey mentioned that John was writing this because there were some who were were departing from the faith. Some who were taking snippets about God or, or Jesus and their doctrine, and they were painting God in the wrong light. They were wrong, and they were deceiving themselves, and I actually think that that is a potential problem for us here today. So I want us to not just think about those that John was writing to, but I want to think this is reality for us. Here's what I mean. Many people in this room and in our church have been on the receiving end of like horrifying darkness. And here's what I mean, like evil acts evil acts that have reached into the depths of you and kind of scrambled up everything, all of your identity, darkness that's dismantled you, altered your state, and and now you kind of find yourself in this crisis. It's left you uncertain of who you are, but in that uncertainty, you've kind of become certain that God is the one who's inflicted this evil upon you. And and if that is where you find yourself today, I want to call attention to the truth that John says, that he proclaims, we've said this, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. But I think there is something to clarify. Today, I'm I'm not talking about suffering. So sometimes we talk about suffering, like we've preached series where we're like leaning into suffering. We've talked... Life of Joseph, we talked Romans 8, we talked all through the Psalms. And those are, that has a bit of a different narrative to say that God uses suffering to discipline you. He'll draw you in. He allows things to happen to you. And we could talk all around that. I think it's necessary that I just say, I'm not talking about suffering today. I'm talking about darkness, evil things. Those don't come from the hand of God. Evil. They are opposed to God, to his light. Sometimes we allow our experiences to distort who God is, and the promise is that we, the problem is, is that we use this to, to begin to view the world. And in doing so, I think we see, kind of, we don't cognitively do this, but we begin to see ourselves as the beginning of all things. And in doing so, we corrupt reality. And I'm afraid many of us, in our understanding of who God is, have had added words to John, that when he writes that God is light, we've added he is light and dark. And we've all overlooked the second half of the verse, 
we operate under the belief sometimes that, that good and evil flow from God, but this is not right. Only good flows from God. Only good. He is holy and absolute perfection. He is light. And if you find yourself under this impression today, I really hope that, that this word of God is light speaks tenderly to you. Because he is light, and in him is no darkness. So in the text, John has some things to say to us, but I don't want to miss that fact. He begins with God, and this is from what everything else flows. It's not happenstance. It's not accidental, but it reorders our understanding as he speaks to us about this God who is light. So if we can see him as the beginning, as he is, holy and pure, revealed to us in Christ, we will see the one who is himself light, cannot be dark, is only good, life-sustaining. What else do we know about light? Light and dark, they're mutually exclusive. They can't coexist. You can't blend both places. The sun comes up in the morning, and the dark is dispelled. Each night the sun goes away, and darkness is now here. Light eliminates, eliminates darkness. Like, no one's really scared of the light, right? Like, I know when I was little, I was never scared to take out the trash to the alley and throw it in the dumpster during the day, if that was a regular chore of mine. But as night fell, when I would walk out to that alley, that now, that same chore came now with the possibility of a dude standing in the alley with a chainsaw and a mask on, ready to cut me into pieces, right? So dark comes, and, and we fear things. There's an uncertainty with it. Or in a similar vein, like a few weeks ago, my wife and I were, were in the West Bottoms, if you've been there, and you know, there's great junker stores and good stuff and gaudy stuff, I guess. I don't know how. There are all these warehouses where you walk through these stores, but in those stores, some of them in the, in the bottom, there's haunted houses. And I've noticed one is called, effectively, the beast, right? Bad things come from there. But it, it's a haunted house. And so as I've never been in it, but I've seen posters for it. And I know enough about haunted houses that they're not talking about like the big dog in the sandlot. They're probably talking about Satan himself, right? And so as it's the beast, you go through a haunted house, it, the lights aren't on. You walk into a haunted house, all the lights are off. They're trying to scare you to death. They want to come. They want to veil what's coming at you. They want to put fear in you. And so there is a deception that comes with it. If, you, if there was lights on, you would see everything coming. But when darkness comes face to face with God, it is no longer darkness, but it's light. So to think about this reality that God is light, we consider just a question to maybe hold out for ourselves. What or where do we need God to come in and illuminate darkness in our lives? What is, maybe to name it, what is the darkness that's overwhelming and terrifying to you? Or maybe that you've compartmentalized and, and pushed down. And where does God this morning need to speak to you to comfort you, to correct your belief of who he is, that he is light, that he's only good, that he's not evil? Or potentially this, where have you befriended the darkness? Where have you made allies with the darkness and in doing so rebelled against God who is light? 
Look at verse 6. We talked about God is light, and now we move into walking in the light. From this, walking in the light flows from the God who is light. Look at 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I think this is referring to believers and with Christ and with God the Father. Fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if God is light and in him is no darkness, meaning that darkness cannot exist with him, then to have fellowship with him means we must be in the light. So we see the mention of fellowship and something about cleansing, but how does this kind of fit together? If you're not cleansed from sin, then you cannot have fellowship with God. You can't have eternal life. You cannot be in this light. Now cleansing, when we think about cleansing of sin, and and in this text when we're looking at it, the cleansing of sin, this doesn't mean that, that you are like perfected. You're not, it's not perfect and you no longer sin, but, but hear me this, in this, because some of you are given to this. This is not a call to perfectionism. Some people here are given to that. Maybe you identify with that. I at times am. Within that, it's not a call to perfectionism. I would actually argue that it's a call away from perfectionism as well as the obvious call away from licentiousness. So I'd pitch that, that both of those things are, are walking in darkness, that licentiousness is, is obviously condemning. You do whatever you want, whenever you want, with no regard, no regulation, no signs of stopping, while a supposed life of perfection attempts to flawlessly accomplish the necessary steps to avoid sin and be right before God on your own efforts. But both are foolish. And the text is abundantly clear that anyone who walks in this darkness, who doesn't obey God, does not have fellowship with God. And also that anyone who claims to have fellowship with God, but attempts to cleanse themselves through their perfect works, denies the cleansing necessary, the only sufficient cleansing of Jesus' blood. And in turn, John says, is a liar, this person and does not practice the truth. See, does not have fellowship with God. Look at 6 again. If we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. He's letting us into the reality of how sin deceives us. We'll look at at the word deceive in verse 8, but I'm afraid oftentimes we do kind of give ourselves a, a pass if you will, while claiming to have fellowship with God. The scriptures talk about all throughout, this is the very purpose and need for Christ, is that we have a sin nature, a bent inward, a natural disposition toward the darkness, if you will. Most of us know this. If you've heard this for the first time just now, if you think about it for a moment, you're probably pretty aware of it. We try to do good, and for a while... We succeed, but ultimately, we'll go right back into sin. We justify our sin by saying things like, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so, right? The comparative righteousness. As though as 
that excuse can clear our record. We overlook that sin, no matter how big or small we view it, is darkness, and it cuts us off from the God who is light. We, in doing so, claim to have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, and John says that we lie and do not practice the truth. I want to take just a side note, and I'm not singling anyone out, but this is kind of time-out family talk for a moment. This claiming to be in fellowship while walking in darkness, I want to just tenderly and strongly talk about this. Alcohol. Now, we as Free City Church, we're not teetotalers. Can I get an amen? Amen. I'd rather you say amen about other things as well, but that's a good one. We're not teetotalers. So I want to say that up front, but the thing is, we we obviously have have wine in the communion glasses. Wine's in the stoneware. Grape juice in the the clear glass. We're not teetotalers. We, We obviously have some level of comfort with alcohol. We've we have it here at communion. If you were to come into my house, I'm more than likely, if you're of age, I'm going to probably offer you a beer. You don't have to accept it. You can turn it down. If you're lucky, we might open the liquor cabinet. Like we're, We can talk about certain things. But there is something to talk about there that given we've wrestled with the scriptures and we understand, man, is this sin for me is, or is this a foothold? Where am I on this? We have things to wrestle with in regard to alcohol. What's the context? Who am I around? Who are these people? What's it do within me? We don't want to lead our brothers and sisters into sin. We've got to be also shrewd enough to realize that anything can become idolatrous. And here's what I mean. Alcoholism, it's not about alcohol, right? You have someone in your family, it's not that they're just stuck on this thing. It's they're looking for something, and this is the, mode to, the method to get them to that end. Is there something deeper within But here's what I'm saying. I'm not arguing whether you should or not or should not drink. But I am concerned here with this. I hear some of my brothers and sisters, I hear it in just conversations. You talk about the weekend and you talk about, man, I was so drunk or blitzed or lit, insert whatever you want to call. And I think there's this problem here. God has made things for you to enjoy. Like he really is. Verse, verse 4 ends of 1 John 1, that he's writing these things so that your joy might be made complete. That is in Jesus Christ. But there are avenues where we see God's goodness and receive it from good gifts that he gives. He cares way more about your joy than you care about your joy. I want you to hear that. I need to hear that. But in the midst of that, he's made things for you to enjoy, but he's also declared how to enjoy said things in moderation. Throughout the scripture, we see things like wine makes the heart glad. But we also see things like Paul in Galatians 5, where he classifies drunkenness with a whole slew of other things that are acts of the flesh, sin, and they are opposed to God. There is a moderation that's prescribed in all things by the word of God, and to act in opposition to that command is to claim to have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. I want to just be careful. Like, hear that out. I'm not, I'm not after your fun. I want you to know the word of God and submit to it. And this is far more about 
more than just alcohol. I just hung my hat there because I've heard that. This is, this is also true, and it's in our, the pervasive nature of our sex ethic. Like we claim to be Christians in fellowship with God while you're dating your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever and, and not adhering to the sex ethic that God has put in place to be enjoyed, enjoyed in the midst of the covenant of marriage. Or this is also for those staying up late at night when your spouse has gone to bed with your face illuminated by images, pornographic images on the screen of your phone, your computer. We could go and throw a thousand other fill-in-the-blank it's when we say, God, I'm, I'm with God, but we know where he is and what he's called us to, what he's called us to stain from and what to moderate, and where we've exploited those things and done whatever we wanted, we walk in darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. The whole point of these verses is that we would stop lying. We would stop pretending. We would come out of hiding, and we would walk out into the light of honesty before God and before one another. Honesty about who he really is, that he is light, but honesty also about what's going on inside of us. And this is walking in the light. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we walk in the light, there is, there's an action to this, right? Walk in the light. We walk in the light, one step in front of the other. It's not a magic dance. It's not a a race. So if you're slow, fear not. But there is some movement here. And we've established this is not a perfect walk. We know this because in the light is where we receive the cleansing of sin. So you're not perfect walking into it. There's something that's going to happen within this light, cleansing of sin. So if we had no sin, then there would be no need for cleansing. But because we've established that it's sinners who walk in the light, we can draw that walking in the light is living in an honest relationship with Jesus and with one another. This is fellowship. There's no need to hide because we're clear about this fact that we are indeed sinners. There's no need to self-protect with keeping certain aspects of our story in the shadows. We can hold ourselves out, hold who we are and what we've done, our story out, and get out of the darkness and into fellowship and receive cleansing by the blood of Christ. Here at Free City, we, we talk all the time about this. We have essentially three kind of layers of, if we're going to say life at Free City. You're experiencing one of them right now, corporate worship. So when we come together, we proclaim who God is. We have actually a spelled out time where we confess our need for him. We find the assurance that we have in Jesus. We preach, we look at the word, we come together asking for the Spirit of God to transform us in all that we do. And we come to the table with the assurance that we can commune with God through Christ. And so there's layers of vulnerability within that. Like if you just showed up and we didn't say, hey, this is our time of confession, you can choose to utilize that or not. But what we're trying to say is, we want to confess our need for God. 
We don't want to walk in and act like we're all good and everything's fine. We want to say, man, we, we are people that are prone to darkness. Lord, help us. We sing that. Lord, help us. In city groups, which is the next layer, so we have a level of vulnerability in corporate worship. And then in city groups where it's just our midweek gatherings where we gather in homes, we share meals together, we come around the scriptures, and, and we try to live and follow Jesus together. So as we look, I said this at the beginning, we hold fast to the promises of God, all of those things. But in there, we think about it as a family, a, practice, a place where we might practice walking in this light. So we fight there. There's a level of vulnerability in corporate worship, but there we're fighting for a bit deeper level of vulnerability. Like here, your, your voice is kind of isolated. We're together and proclaiming the same thing, but at Citigroup, you've got, you're sitting across the table from brother or sister. You actually have a one-on-one conversation. You're able to talk to them about what's going on in your life and hear about what's going on in their life. You're able to lean into this and from there, really, we, we, we have to kind of wrestle to get a bit deeper than just the, man, how's your week going? And so this is the thing that we, we talk about regularly in city groups is like when we even come to like prayer nights, we want to pray for serious things in life. We want to pray for our family members who are ill or whatever it might be otherwise. But, but we also turn that question regularly to say, man, what is going on in your life that you kind of pull together and you, you win for a moment, but you inevitably fall back into sin. What is that? Offer that. You know, another way to, that I often pitch to our group is, is like, what, this is sometimes can be terrifying. What's something you've never shared with anyone? I don't mean a joke. I just mean the thing that's deep within you that you're aware this is dark. I keep coming back to it. Share it. It's risky. And then life transformation groups. So we have a layer of vulnerability, but, but when we think about life transformation groups, we think about this as like the place where two to three individuals might gather, people of the same gender, to come together and be able to talk in 100% vulnerability to say, man, here's where I'm winning, here's where I'm losing, here's where I need you to pray for me, to hold ourselves. Here's what I'm learning from the word of God. We hold ourselves out. Every Thursday morning, I, I meet with a guy in our church, and, and we meet at McDonald's, and we talk about the Word, and we talk about what's going on in our lives. We pray together, and we've done this for a while, and I've known him since he's been here for just a few years. And, and in the midst is we've grown to know each other pretty well. Like we know kind of sin habits and things we get hung up in, and so we've grown to be able to kind of see the nuances of sin, and I'm, he'll talk about something, I'm like, Oh, I got you nailed. Here we go. And then go in on what he's really wrestling with. And then he does that same crap back to me, you know? So it, it just, it gets in the cycle. But in the midst of that, each week we, we gather together and we talk through things. And like, this has just been kind of a season where I've been talking about in some ways, like, man, I felt this anger coming up more in me. I felt I'm not uh, patient with people. I care less about certain things. And, and ultimately, as he dials back into me, I'm realizing, man, there's a lot of things that feel really uncertain and out of control in my life. And I feel like for the majority of my life, I've been able to really manage things. And so he sees like the fruit of that desire to hold all things together, to try to do what only God does. And he calls it out and we walk together. And each week I walk away from there like encouraged 
and filled with more love for, for my brother and more love for Jesus. And this is exactly what the cleansing power, the blood of Christ does. So Ben and I, we're, we're far from sinless men. But as we walk in the light, we have deepening fellowship with one another and with the Father, with Christ, and the blood of Jesus does cleanse us from all sin. That's what it's like to walk into the light. Imperfect people, honest about their imperfection, looking to the perfect God of light. We talked about different aspects in the life of our church, and, and, and in those aspects, like City group, life transformation groups, just conversations. I want to kind of present a potential problem, a pitfall, a temptation that's ever present as we wrestle in, in kind of trying to have a culture of vulnerability. And here's what I mean. So we've seen God is light. Talked about walking in the light. And now I just kind of want to lead us into what's walking in the light. It's confess sin. Don't be deceived. Look at verse 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to highlight a couple things in these two verses. We see the word sin in both 8 and 9, but look at the difference. In verse 8, if we say we have no sin, singular Look at nine. If we confess our sins, it's plural. The differentiation there, verse eight says, and this is really talking about the nature of sin, the nature of sin, the sin nature within us that can be traced all the way back to Genesis three. If we say we have no sin, we're saying that we deny the reality that we by nature are sinful. We are deceived and the truth is not in us. It's pretty straightforward, right? Then from there, sin in a singular form. It's there the nature. We acknowledge that we have sin. But then in 9, John writes, but if we confess our sins, plural, these sins, we've acknowledged we have a nature of sin, but now there's something that's getting a little bit closer, more specific. As we dig into the broad understanding of sin, our lives, our sin, so as we think we have sin, so we dig in, our sin specific is revealed. And this is absolutely necessary for us to understand because I think this is where we regularly get stuck. Sin is a fact of life. Probably aware of that. We're not perfect, but if we were, we'd have no message of Jesus to even preach. But there is a response necessary when we're aware of our sin. And it's confession. It's clearly stated here. The problem is that our sin nature, our human nature, tends to minimize the seriousness of sin. So, like, when we think about confession, think about the last thing you confessed. Maybe that was on the way here this morning. If you've got kids, it probably needs to be now because you got upset or felt something. Or think about the last five things. And if you can't think of any of those right now, just confess the sin of not confessing your sin. There's a shortcut because we haven't acknowledged our sin. But in the midst, we, our sin comes out of us where what do we do with it? Do we just say, man, I'm sorry. That's where it is. I've got a sin nature. 
Or do we get specific? Do we kind of dig in and say, man, here is the reason. Here's what's really going on within me where I'm actually not trusting God as who he is or not following him as he commands me to do so. So sin, it's the fruit of the gnarled tree that that grows within our hearts. And a tree is is rooted in the endless quest for for approval or, or for control or for comfort. We talk about these things often, that they're the idols of the heart, that they're the thoughts, desires, and longings and expectations that we worship in place of the true God. Things that are actually only found in, satisfied in, or belong to God himself. We talk about this stuff often in our church. But there's a problem even like when we know a language of idolatry. Like we might be quick. Ben and I do this to each other at certain times, and hopefully we always fight each other. But like, man, I'm really wrestling with control. Well, that's acknowledging that I've got a sin nature, but what does that mean to dig into that a bit more? What am I actually looking for? I understand that's where that goes, but maybe I'm, I'm actually sounding like I'm being vulnerable, vulnerable, but I'm not really being vulnerable. I'm being vulnerable enough to keep you at arm's distance and protect myself when really what's going on there is even that which I just talked about, a self-protecting so that you don't know, so that I can stay in the darkness, so I can stay in the shadows and continue to feed this desire for me being the center of all things. So we deceive ourselves by acknowledging our sin, but only partially doing so. So confess your sin. Don't be deceived. In a few months back, I think this is in in just leading into verse 9, a few months back, a a buddy called me, and and he just said, man, do you have just a minute to talk? And I did, and kind of in the middle of things, and and stepped out, and and he just, uh, he's in a dating relationship, and, and he dating his girlfriend and, and really fighting for purity in that relationship. And, and they had set some boundaries and of what does it look like to honor God. And, and he just called me and he's like, man, I just need to confess this. We took things a little bit too far the other night and, and I, need to, I need to confess that. And as he talked through things, I asked him some questions, you know, where did that go? And, and, and just getting things out on the table to, to just feel out what he's feeling. What I felt strongly in him was a grief and an overwhelming kind of despair of, oh my gosh, I've messed up. And so I asked him some questions. And as he's talking, I I understand that he clearly identified his sin. He actually went so far to say, man, I didn't trust God in what he calls me to. And here's how I wasn't trusting him. As we got further into that conversation, I just felt like, man, he's just beating himself up. He's sorrowful and sounds like repentance to me. And so I finally, we talked for a minute and I pressed pause and I said, hey man, do you know what First John 1 9 says? And he quoted, of course he did, he quoted verbatim. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we just let that hang there for a minute. And I said, hey man, I, I kind of hear you out. I hear your voice. I hear You've talked about these things. What do you think God says about you now? And it was this moment to sit in this crazy, crazy, mind-blowing thing that, man, he had messed up, but he confessed his sins. He felt it deep in his heart. He didn't just say, man, here's where it is, and deny things and walk, continue to walk in the darkness. He's like, man, this sucks. I hate it. 
I want Jesus and Jesus alone. I want to trust God. And in the moment of confession of sin, God forgives him and cleanses him from all unrighteousness. And so I just made him say it. What does God say about you? And when you begin to verbalize that in light of Christ, what does God say about you? He says, I'm loved. He says, I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness. He says, I'm righteous. It's a mind-blowing thing when we understand the depth of our sin and the beauty of the cleansing blood of Jesus. So brothers and sisters, when when we confess our sins, I, I want you to hear me on this. You have nothing to lose. When you confess your sins, you have absolutely nothing to lose but your guilt and your shame. Nothing. Look at verse 10 as we close this morning. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This ties right back to what we talked about earlier, that if we say we have not sinned, if we claim to be without sin, there's a slight change in language to follow. In verse 6, it says that we lie if we claim to be without sin. But here it says we make him a liar. We make God out to be a liar, and his word is not within us. So when we deny the fact of sin in our lives, we lie, and we in turn call God a liar, and in doing so, we clearly reveal to every person, his word's not in us. It's obvious. So brothers and sisters, let's hear the warnings of John this morning. Like, let's not be deceived. Let's not lie. Let's not walk into darkness instead. Let's take heed his words. Look to the God who is light and walk in that light. Because God who is light, we understand that he creates in us, among us, a fellowship, a culture, if you will, that enables us to walk into that light. Walking into the light does involve fellowship with God and being cleansed from sin. And it's the mark of a life of continual repentance, continual confession of sins. So even this morning, like wherever you are, whatever it might look like, if you identify things that you're stuck in, begin to take a step. What's it look to take just a, a step and another step and another? And I get it. It, it may feel risky, but we said this, man, you, you have nothing to lose except your guilt and your shame. But I know whenever I say that, Satan whispers in your ear in that moment that you have not true. God's light shines in the darkness, and it is darkness no more. Hear the promise of James 5. James writes this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. To whom do you confess your sins? Like, Do you have accountability in our church? Like, Who in this place do you see on a regular basis and you confess your sin and they press you and encourage you to walk in the light. Like who in our church really knows what's going on, what you're really facing? And I want you to just realize this, we talk about fellowship. You don't have to face those things on your own. You don't have to conquer it on your own, but you do need to confess it 
and keep confessing it and walk in the light. We don't overcome our sins by willpower, but we do confess our sins to death because whatever we confess, Jesus washes away with his cleansing blood. And that is the truth of the God of light and the empowerment of walking in the light. And then just the press for us to, man, don't, don't be deceived. Confess our sins. And I want to leave with this, and we're going to preach on this next week. But just to go there, John in, in chapter 2, verse 1, just says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is the great news. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation. It means atoning sacrifice. He's the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. It's not some universalist declaration that is saying this. There is no sin too large. Jesus' blood covers it all. And Jesus Christ, the righteous, what a powerful name, stands in your place, stood in your place on the cross, now stands in your place in his resurrection. And when God looks at you, he looks through the lens of Christ. If you confess your sins, you have full cleansing by his blood. And if you confess your sins and you've received that cleansing, you're a Christian today. And if that's even for the first time, if you're, you're feeling like, man, I've got this on my heart, I need to offer it up, I would dare to say that is this, the work of the spirit of the living God deep within you saying, hey, this is good news. Offer it. Take a risk, if you will. And trust me, I'm the God who is light. I'll dispel the darkness and make you right. So if you trust in Jesus this morning, we do welcome you to the communion table. And, and if that is even the first time that you're like, man, I need to confess my sins, you can do it right there. We're going to have people in the back as we move to communion. We're on a prayer team. They have badges that say prayer team. And from there, if there's things that you feel like you need to confess, you need to get off your chest, go talk to them. They're going to help you walk that out. If you have a brother or sister that's really close to you in friendship and you see them on the regular and you've kept your mouth shut for a long time when you felt the Spirit of God say, open your mouth and share this, but you succumb to the voice of the accuser saying, don't do it, it's too risky, they're going to hate you. And walk into the light this morning. Take a little step and receive the fellowship that Jesus has established for you. The blessing of your brothers and sisters. And this morning we come to receive as a picture, as we come to the bread and the wine, a picture of the fellowship that we have with God through the broken body and spilt blood upon the cross from Jesus. His blood washes us clean. And so we come to that this morning. If you are a Christian, we encourage you to come forward. If you don't believe these things and you're kind of kicking the tires on stuff and, or you even just hate the things I just said, man, we are really thankful that you are with us. We really are. We ask that you come back. And we really do hope that this is a place where you can belong and, and feel really loved and deeply cared for before you believe the stuff we're talking about. But if you're not a Christian, we, we do ask just one thing, that as we come to this time of communion, that, that you wouldn't come to this table because we've just unpacked some things on what the table means and what belief in Jesus means. And as we come, we're declaring Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so if you don't buy that, don't take this meal. We have 
two tables down front. I get it. It's been chaotic because it's small and there's two aisles. We stated that. But we've added a third option in the back. And so we're going to open these back doors as we move into communion. If you're kind of in the back half of the auditorium, maybe just feel it out. But if there is space in the back, just turn around and go right. They're going to be right in the middle of the back and receive communion there. If you have like some like a gluten intolerance or your celiac or something like that, we have gluten-free option that is here down in the front. It's in the bowls that will be on the table. But as we walk through the lines, you tear off a piece of bread, remembering that Christ's body was broken for you, and then you dip it in either the wine, which is in the stoneware, or the grape juice, which is in the clear glass, remembering that Christ's blood was shed so that you might have life. Let me pray for us as we move to communion. Lord Jesus, we do move this morning, and we ask that that your light would, would shine forth into our hearts, that it would obliterate the darkness. Jesus, for those who have heard this story over and over and over, who have heard the encouragement to avail themselves and walk into the light over and over and over, Lord Jesus, I ask that in your name right now you would silence any voice of the accuser, And Jesus, your voice, when there's all whispers and chaos and misdirection in heads and minds, would you be the one voice that assures, confess, I'll receive you. And would we be people who are widely aware that you are the one who receives us into your strong arms and your good heart this morning? That we would know that you're not a God who has evil any part of him, but you are light, you are pure and holy, and you invite us, lead us, welcome us. You've made the way for us to walk into your light. So would we be people of the light this morning as we confess our need for you, Jesus? Amen.